It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, courtesy of The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. It's a great mix of national voices that you already know, like Jay Glazer, Mike Sandow, Mike Lombardi, the late, great Don Banks, or Free Athletic 2, and awesome local writers. In fact, one of my buddies, Harif Hassan, covers the Vikings, and I was just reading an awesome article that he wrote about this critical offseason for the Vikings. So if you're somebody that likes coverage of your own team, great. Plenty of that, but if you're somebody that likes coverage of other teams like I do, you can get tons of great writers that cover teams besides your own, and as I said, great national writers too. And here's the best part. Not only do you get first-rate reporting, but you get all kinds of great analysis, advanced analytics, in-depth player profiles, and more, and it's completely ad-free. No clickbait, just great content. Pro sports, college sports, the athletic has it all. So if you're not subscribing yet, you're really missing out. Want to get in on the action? I got a great deal for you. Just for being a Play Like a Jet listener, you can go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and you'll get yourself 40% off a year subscription. 40%, that's a lot. Go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and get all of this fantastic sports coverage in the athletic for 40% off today. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for the eighth and final installment of the Sam Darnold Project with Michael Nania. Last week we left off with the game in which the Jets lost to the previously winless Cincinnati Bengals. And Michael, we move ahead now to the following week, the rematch against the Miami Dolphins at home, where I think it's funny because... The Jets won this game. They had lost in embarrassing fashion to the Bengals, but I think that he played significantly better against the Bengals, and your grading system bears that out. The Jets ended up winning this at the end on a field goal, but it was on a day where they had the lead almost the entire game but just couldn't get it in the end zone. It was a day of field goals. The most valuable player on the field that day was probably Sam Ficken. 19 good plays, 15 bad plays. It's an okay ratio. Overall grade, though, of 36 because I thought there were a lot of plays that Sam Darnold left on the field. And this is the problem with Darnold, again, in the roller coaster ride. You had the really good games against the Redskins, the Giants, and the Raiders. Then you had a decent game against the Bengals. And now here we are back to a poor game against the Miami Dolphins. Now, the Dolphins are a bad team, so the Jets were able to win this one anyway. But again, you'd like to see Sam Darnold, the difference maker, rather than Sam Darnold, the guy who was just able to eke out a win against a bad team at home. Yeah. First off, if this were just an average performance, you know, at home against a very bad Dolphins defense, 
that was by far the worst in DVOA this season. Uh, even if he was average in this game, it would have been disappointing, but he was he was not average. He struggled a lot in this game, especially in the second half. Going into halftime, he was, he was playing really well in the first half. He made uh, the throw to Demarius Thomas for the touchdown. He did a nice job getting Robbie Anderson wide open for a touchdown, moving the safety, stepping up. So he made a few good throws in the first half. He was playing really well going into the break. But then the second half, he just came out and started really struggling. And there were two things in particular he really struggled with. One of them was being too over-aggressive. Uh, he would miss, especially on third down, there would be you know open checkdowns underneath that he wouldn't get the ball to. He would roll out and try shots down the sideline. Uh, you know Those plays that he would hit with Chris Herndon so often last season, this is where I think he really missed him because he didn't, he didn't have anyone who really connected with him on those plays who could improvise and give him a target on those scrambling throws. And he just ends up you know, passing on an easy check down, scrambling and uh, basically throwing the ball out of bounds with no chance at a completion. So there were a few plays like that where he should have checked the ball down, moved the chains, but instead he does something more aggressive. Uh, and there were a few shots down the field that just did not make sense. There was one throw where Jameson Crowder was wide open running a seam route on the left side, but Darnold chucked it up to Robbie Anderson on the right side, deep down the field. That one almost got picked off. Uh, he did the, pretty much the same thing on the left side to Robbie Anderson, almost got intercepted. No one was wide open on that play, but there were just some over-aggressive shots that he took in this one. Uh, he did throw an interception. That was bad. Uh, the pressure was a huge part of that one. Alex Lewis, uh, Jonathan Harrison gave that up, but it was a hasty throw off of a flat base. That one got intercepted. So um, his de- uh, decision-making in that second half was just really shaky, and he left a lot of first downs on the field and took some shots that he should not have been taking. So uh, after a good start, it was a really disappointing second half for him. And even though the Jets did come back and win it was uh you know they got that pass interference call which was essentially luck uh vincent smith was able to take advantage uh, of the defender breaking and gambling for the interception and get a bunch of yards on one play uh so even though the jets did come back and win it wasn't like sam darnold did anything too spectacular to lead the comeback and he did take a sack that almost put them uh into a did put them into a nearly impossible situation although they got out of it but um uh, second half, he really struggled in this game, and especially considering who they were playing and the fact that it was at home, that was uh, pretty disappointing to see. And I think it uh, up until that second half, it was uh, four, four and a half straight good games from him. But that second half, he did uh, really kind of fall apart. Box score for Darnold on this day was eh, 20 of 36, 270 yards, 7.5 yards per attempt. Two touchdowns and an interception, 43.9, 86.6 quarterback rating, which is actually, I think, better than his performance really was. Bilal Powell had a big day here, 74 yards on the ground, and another big game for Robbie Anderson, seven catches, 117 yards, and a touchdown. Nobody else on the offense really did much of note, except for, of course, that one play with Vincent Smith at the end of the game. So, This is another strange performance by the Jets and a strange one for Darnold for all the reasons that you already mentioned. And again, you would have liked to have seen Sam Darnold be able to up his game against a bad defense in division at home. But instead, he did just enough to get by when given, as you said, a borderline miracle play to help him out at the end. Yeah, and this was a boomer bust game from Sam Darnold. The lows were low and the highs were pretty high. He did have some great uh, throws in this game, especially earlier. So I gave him seven plays graded three or worse. 
That's 17.9% of his plays in that game. That's the third highest rate of his career behind the Browns game in his rookie season and the Patriots game uh, Monday night football this season. Uh, But on the other side, I did give him four plays graded uh, seven or better. That's 10.3% of his plays. That was fourth best of the season. So uh, he did have some really good high points in this one. He had uh, the go route to Robbie Anderson on the right side. He had that really good under pressure throw on a crossing route to Anderson, which his hand like smacked against the, I think it was actually his own teammate, uh, smacked against one of the O-linemen's helmet after he threw it. So he had some great throws in this game. So there were positives to take out of it, but uh, just the rate at which he's making some really baffling decisions, uh, which typically were very over aggressive uh, in that second half. Uh, and that's something he really can get better with going forward. He's got to be willing to take uh, on third down those checkdowns, just move the chains and keep moving forward. And it's kind of the same thing with the Raiders play we talked about uh, when he tried that shot to Robbie Anderson instead of scrambling. It's just he's got to emphasize moving the chains on those third downs. So uh, that's something he really struggled with in this game. And it's something he has to be a lot better at going forward. What did PFF give him for this game? So PFF for this game gave him a 61.8 that ranked as right in the middle of the pack for his season. That was his eighth best score of the year. So I think I would probably go a little lower than that because that kind of seems like they were kind of in the middle between his first and second half. But uh, personally, when I was grading it, watching it, uh, I think the negative of his second half kind of, uh, canceled out and uh, was more negative than the first half was positive kind of wiped that out but um they were kind of in the middle on it the following week the Jets played on national television Thursday night football against the best team in the AFC at least record wise and that of course Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens it was interesting to see the contrast here between the Ravens and the Jets because Lamar Jackson was picked much further down in the first round he wasn't expected to be this far along this quickly yet the Ravens found a way to build to his strengths and you really saw that in this game there were a lot of opportunities for Lamar Jackson some of them he cashed in on a few of them he didn't and you and I were joking during the game that if Darnold had missed a couple of the throws that Jackson missed people would have been going crazy but overall Jackson had a good game and it really showed the brilliance of having a system in place that the coaching staff puts together to make the positives shine and the negatives be hidden with Darnold it's interesting because when you look at what happened here the Jets ended up losing by a substantial margin which everyone expected especially on the road against the Ravens but Darnold played pretty well now the positive to negative play ratio isn't tremendous 18 to 14 but the wow plays really made up for it here, especially that throw to Jamison Crowder. There were a couple of times, too, when Darnold's receivers let him down, and I'll let you talk about that. But I thought this was a pretty good game by Darnold, and you gave him a really nice grade for it, too, a 71.9, one of his better grades of the season. So talk to me about what you saw here. I thought there was a lot more good than bad, and even though the Jets got trounced, if Darnold plays more like this on a regular basis with an upgraded supporting cast, it will bode very well for the Jets' future. Yeah, so the story of this game for Darnold is really that, like you said, the ratio wasn't good. Uh, 18 to 14, that's a 1.29 ratio, which is below average uh, based on what I've seen from doing Darnold and other quarterbacks. So the consistency wasn't good, but really the story was the fact that when he did do something good, it was really, really good because there was a lot of pressure. The coverage was really tight. Baltimore's defense played uh, really well in this game, created a ton of pressure. The pressure rate 
uh, was really high once again. In this game, he took a 50% rate, tied for the worst of the season. Uh, and the coverage was really good, too. The windows were extremely tight throughout the game. So when Darnold did something good in this game, it was very, very good. Uh, some of the throw, He had some of his best throws of the season in this game. If you put together a top 10 to 15 list of his best throws of the season, you would probably have four or five throws from this game in there. And just if you did, expanded it beyond that, you'd still have a lot more throws because when he was uh, making a good play in this game, he was overcoming a lot pressure, uh, tight windows, having to be on the move, having to get the ball out quickly. Uh, And then when he, on the flip side, when he's making mistakes, it was generally not really his fault. There was the one interception that uh, although it looked like a miscommunication, it was probably an ill-advised throw anyway. And he did fumble the ball and lose that. But other than that, the mistakes were just, you know, there was nobody open. There was, uh, he had to get the ball out immediately, and he's just throwing it away. So there were so many times there really were not any options for him. Uh, you know, there were throws where, you know, maybe he could have thrown a little better, but, you know, most of the throws that he missed were extremely low percentage throws just because of uh, the pressure and the coverage. But when he's playing well, it was because uh, he was making those throws. He was delivering uh, on balls that would be really hard to complete on a consistent basis. But in this game, he made a really good amount of them. So even though the consistency wasn't great, just the fact that the mistakes generally weren't his fault and the good plays were extremely good. Uh, that's how he's able to have, in, in my opinion, I'm not sure if I agree with my own grade, which actually put him uh, with his second best of the season here. But uh, I think it's a lot closer to that than most people realized uh, watching this live and then looking at his stats. He played very solidly in this game when you consider just how good his high points were throughout the game and like you said that throw to Crowder he was scrambling right put it under pressure squeeze against the sideline put it in an impossibly small window to Jameson Crowder over the outstretched arm of Marlon Humphrey against the sideline that was a great throw um, he had a really good deep ball to Robbie Anderson on a two-point conversion kind of threw a jump pass into the corner to Anderson uh, and one of my favorite throws from this game wasn't completed but uh, it was fourth and fourth and one. The Jets were in the red zone. Darnold had to scramble right immediately because of unblocked pressure. And he's, he just threw up a fadeaway with the defender right in his grill. Anderson was covered tightly and he couldn't haul it in. Jimmy Smith knocked it out. But Darnold uh, in a situation where just the angle was so difficult uh, to deliver a catchable ball from, he put it in two hands for Robbie Anderson. So uh, that throws kind of the story of the night. And it was a tough catch by Anderson and maybe pass interference. But from Darnold's perspective, for him to be able to deliver the throws that he did for, in the situations that he had to deliver them from, uh, that's the story of this game. He This is a really tough place for a young quarterback to play. I kind of put out some of the numbers on Twitter. He was uh, It's one of the best performances that uh, a young quarterback has had in Baltimore in this century, right up there with uh, Baker Mayfield and Ben Roethlisberger as uh, two of the uh, three of the better performances that we've seen there from young quarterback and this season in the regular season at least Ryan Tannehill did it in the playoffs but he's only quarterback to throw two touchdowns against them in the regular season and they played a few good quarterbacks so uh, he went into a tough environment the Jets did not help him out a lot but he put together uh, a really nice high highlight reel in this game. Michael, I got to say, I don't know if I agree with you either as far as making it his second highest rated game, but I do think it was one of his better performances of the season. Box score was interesting. 18 of 32, 218 yards, 6.8 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, an interception, 49.4 QBR, and an 85.2 quarterback rating. 
And Le'Veon Bell had arguably his best game of the season. 21 carries, 87 yards, 4.1 yards per carry. Jamison Crowder and Robbie Anderson both put up some solid numbers. Crowder, six catches, 90 yards, which is funny if you think about it because Crowder played those years in D.C. And so back in the DMV area, as we call it, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, he performed well. Six catches, 90 yards here against the Ravens and 86 yards against his old team, the Redskins. Robbie Anderson, four catches. 66 yards and then as I said before you saw the strengths of Lamar Jackson and the brilliance of the system here 15 of 23 212 yards 9.2 yards per attempt five touchdowns zero interceptions 96.7 QBR and a 134.4 quarterback rating I thought that as good as Lamar Jackson was, he wasn't quite as good as the box score because you remember there was that one clear touchdown where he overthrew the receiver. There were a couple of other plays like that, but overall, it's hard to really get worked up about a day when a quarterback throws five touchdown passes like that and his team wins 42-21. Yeah, and there, there were definitely a couple of mistakes, but I mean, that was just a classic display of what makes him and the Ravens really good, especially in the run game. He was dominant. The Jets, uh, the Jets defensively in that game had so many players missing. It looked like a pre, it literally looked like uh, their preseason lineup uh, in that game against the Ravens, which is not a very good formula against that team in particular. And it turned out the way we expected it to. So um, even though uh, Darnold didn't put up the best numbers in this game, th- those are still relatively good numbers. And I already talked about the young quarterbacks, but if you look at other quarterbacks like 23 and under first year second year who've played in Baltimore since this you know dynasty kind of started in 2000 they've been really good uh, throughout the century really sent over that time period it's it's one of the better stat lines that a quarterback has put up there and I still think it undersells the way he played quite a bit so it was a great uh, great performance I think uh, when you consider everything that he's dealing with and just how good his high points were it, and it, when we say it was a great performance it wasn't necessarily like you know he's stringing drives together or making play after play but it's just that he had a handful of really great plays in this game that are among the best of his career while sports can bring us so much joy it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate relax and get decent sleep sunday scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners bo schmidt and mike sill They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Now, Michael, we go from one of the better performances of Sam Darnold's 2019 to two of the weaker ones of 2019. The Jets at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers with Duck Hodges at quarterback. This is a game where, yes, the Steelers have a tough defense, but at home, Darnold should have been able to shine to some reasonable extent. It's not what happened. 12 good plays, 15 bad plays, so a really bad ratio here. And the overall score makes this the second worst game of the season for him on your chart after only that legendarily terrible Patriots game where he was quote-unquote seeing ghosts. People don't talk about this enough because the Jets ended up winning the game, but this was one of the worst performances of Tarnold's career so far. He looked really bad in this game. Yeah, the, these last two games are, it's it's puzzling, it's mysterious, and a little bit uh, worrisome the way he finished uh, the season these last two games. And this Steelers game, and the Jets didn't need a whole lot from him. He only threw... Uh, only had 31 plays in this game. That's his fewest of the season and one of the lowest uh, numbers of his career. So they didn't need a whole lot from him. The defense played really well. And and actually part of the reason that he didn't have so many plays was because the Jets were punting the ball so much because he was so bad. But um, he was just really struggling in this game. And it started off well once again, uh, as it has throughout the season. Uh, they went on that uh, solid opening drive. He made a great throw. Uh, to Robbie Anderson, but there were just mistakes he made in this game that were uh, once kind of similar to the Miami game, just over aggressive mistakes. There was the one deep pass he threw to Vincent Smith that was nearly intercepted. Uh, actually, probably should have been called an interception. That one was called back. Uh, then later on, he had a play where Robbie Anderson was wide open over the middle on a dig route, and instead of throwing that, Darnold threw it to Jameson Crowder and triple coverage down the field. That one was almost intercepted. Uh, and just overall throughout the game, those were the two most egregious ones, but there were just his accuracy wasn't very good in this game. It was very shaky in the underneath range. And even though the Steelers have a good defense, created a lot of pressure in this game, uh, as Darnold took in almost every game this season, uh, there was just act, some throws that he was missing that didn't have a whole lot to do with pressure. So uh, overall in this game, his air yards per attempt was extremely low. It was the second worst of the season ahead of only the bills game in which he was dealing with mono at the beginning of the season. So um, he just, it was just, it's hard to even kind of comprehend what was happening because he was for the most part playing pretty well going into this game. He struggled against Miami, but if you even including that, that's five of the past six games, uh, at least in my opinion, he played pretty well. Uh, So in this game, yes, the Steelers have a really good defense, but um, you look at the way they played this season on the road. They have, they were not nearly as good as they were at home defensively this season. And the Jets did get this one at home, even though there were a lot of Steeler fans there, arguably more than Jets fans. Uh, they were playing it at home, and um, he struggled a lot with his accuracy in this game. Uh, some over-aggressive decisions once again. Um, so I think this is an example of uh, something, another good example of something Donald struggles with. Uh, sometimes he's just got to be willing to, keep the chains moving, check the ball down. Even if the chains aren't moving, just check the ball down and take what he can because uh, it kind of seems like he can't adapt away from his aggressive mentality. And 
when things aren't working and the protection isn't good or if he's just flat out not playing well because like the Redskins game, the pressure was, uh, there's a lot of pressure in that game, but he was just on it. The Redskins weren't covering well. His accuracy was great. He was getting outside the pocket, uh, making great throws. When it, things aren't clicking like that, he just kind of sticks with that aggressive mentality, and then it comes back uh, to bite him and the entire offense, and it leads to, uh, even though in this Pittsburgh game, he didn't turn the ball over. Um, he probably should have a few times. So uh, I think one of the things he can get better at is just understanding uh, kind of where he's at in terms of how he's throwing the ball, what the defense is giving him, uh, how well the O-line's playing, the receivers, just taking into account everything that's going on and being able to just be more conservative if that's uh, what the team needs from him. So the Jets were lucky he didn't turn the ball over a few times in this game. He also had a pitch to Jameson Crowder in which he was just, and this wasn't a pass or a run play or a decision or anything, but uh, it was just a pitch to Crowder out uh, on an end around. And he just, Darnold just pitched it to Crowder's feet and it ended up on the ground and they were lucky. Uh, that was a fumble that they were lucky to, uh, to be able to recover. So uh, Jets were very fortunate to not have Darnold turn the ball over in this game. That makes his passer rating look good. Uh, so overall, this was just a pretty disappointing performance. And it's now his second lackluster home or second straight home game in which he doesn't play very well. People that wanted to look at this with green goggles on were saying they won the game and they scored points against this team that was one of the best defenses in the league. And then you go ahead and look at it and they actually scored less points than the average against this defense. And it turned out that Sam Darnold actually wasn't good in this game. And so even though they won the game in the end, this turns out to be one of those ugly wins that in the long run probably did them more harm than good only in the sense that it hurt their draft position and Darnold didn't play well. And those are the two things that down the stretch of the season you cared about most because you knew the Jets had no chance to go anywhere, so you just needed to see Sam Darnold play well. And in this game, he did not. The box score is interesting, though, here, Michael. 16 of 26, 183 yards, 7 yards per attempt, 1 touchdown, 36.4 QBR, but get this, a 95.5 quarterback rating. Once again, showing you that quarterback rating is not that great of a metric of figuring out whether or not a quarterback was good. Le'Veon Bell had 72 yards, which is fine if you like volume stats. It's not fine when you realize he carried the ball 25 times to get those 72 yards, so 2.9 yards per carry. Robbie Anderson had a touchdown, but only two catches for 32 yards. Jamison Crowder, four catches for 60 yards. So overall, this was a lot like that game against the Dolphins in the sense that they got the win in ugly fashion. Fashion, but Darnold didn't look good and the team itself really didn't perform all that well yeah and and the Jets winning this game is a credit to how well the defense played and even the defense was playing against a frankly pretty terrible Steelers offense that rotated between two bad quarterbacks in this game but they did give up 10 points they played really well especially Marcus May and Jamal Adams this was one of their signature performances uh, both those guys had uh, a bunch of really good plays in this game so the defense was great, but offensively not good at all. And Sam Darnold struggled, uh, struggled a lot in this game. And like you said, that's uh, and we as Jets fans know this quite well uh, since we've been dealing with meaningless December games for a decade now. Uh, that December is all about watching your young or hoping to see your young quarterback play well. And in this game, it did not happen. Finally, the last game of the season, Michael, as the Jets went to Buffalo to take on the Buffalo Bills, a team that for almost the entire game rested their starting players. Josh Allen barely played. They were getting ready for the playoffs here. So you would think 
that in this scenario where the Bills are resting most of their starters, Sam Darnold would put on a show, he closed the season strong, and you would go into 2020 with a smile on your face just as we did at the end of 2018. And if that's what you thought, you ended up being wrong because 16 positive plays to 18 negative plays is what Sam Darnold gave the Jets against second and third string players on the Buffalo Bills. One of the worst performances of the season for him, 31.6 was your final grade. And again, the Jets won this game, a low scoring one, but you couldn't come out of this feeling good about it. If you want to sit here and tell me that getting a win like this in December when the team was out of the playoffs and the opposing team was treating it like a preseason game is some sort of big deal, fine, make that argument. But as far as I'm concerned, and I think this speaks for a lot of Jets fans, the main thing we wanted to see was Sam Darnold go in there and do really well and end the season on a high note and give everybody a reason to be optimistic going into 2020. And hey, would be nice to have Sam Darnold shine in Buffalo so that the Buffalo Bills fans would stop trying to say that Josh Allen is better than Sam Darnold. Unfortunately, none of that happened. The Jets did win, but all the things that you would have liked to have seen throughout the course of the game did not come to fruition. Yeah, and, and the box score line Darnold put up in this game is, I think, a lot closer to what he probably should have had against the Steelers the week before. Uh, 76 passer rating, 5.5 yards per attempt. Uh, both numbers, which are well below average in today's NFL. Uh, and against the Steelers, like what happened in that game is if you don't throw any interceptions in a game, if you post a zero in that interception column, it's going to make your passer rating look a lot better regardless of what else you do. So that's how he got to that 95 against the Steelers, even though he wasn't very good. And uh, he also had to play in that game to Javon Wesco, which gave him a bunch of yards. So in the Steelers game, he got this misleading box score line. But against the Bills, uh, it's much more uh, – it definitely is a better indicator of how just kind of, you know, uninspiring and just – yeah, uninsp how uninspiring this performance was against a team, like you said, playing second and third stringers, probably isn't even uh, showing its actual uh, go-to concepts on defense because they're going to play a wild card game the week after that. So they don't want to give anything away. Uh, so the situation was set up for Darnold to play really well here and just dominate a bunch of backups and give us some confidence going into next season. But he wasn't able to do that. And you can't even really make the weather excuse because he went to Buffalo last year uh, when the bills were still playing and their defense was really good. And Darnold played really good in that game. And it was his first game coming back uh, from injury. And he actually left that game uh, with an injury. So he played good in Buffalo last year. This season just uh, is very similar to the Pittsburgh game. Just a lot of mistakes uh, in terms of decision-making. And, and some of them in this one weren't even uh, in terms of aggressiveness. There were some over-aggressive decisions he, make, uh, he made in this game. There were uh, the one interception. He actually had uh, two interceptions in this game. And um, one of them was called back. So uh, just there were a few tough decisions he made in this game in terms of aggressiveness, things like that. So uh, the accuracy too. And even though we said with the weather, like he played good in Buffalo last year, there's this one play uh, to Daniel Brown, which he rolled out uh, and Brown had room in the back of the end zone. Darnold kind of opened him up the little pump fake, but Darnold had time to set himself throw hit wide open Brown for the touchdown, but he rushed the throw. It was way short and it seemed like it kind of slipped out of his hands and Brown wasn't able to dive back and make it. So just a lot of issues in this game. Pocket presence, he's kind of rushing throws under pressure, throwing off of flat feet, and those throws were short. 
uh, the interceptions. So he actually had um, one official interception this game. I think he had one called back uh, because of penalty. Um, so the, one of them was he's throwing deep to Jameson Crowder. It was a possible throw that he could have made, but one he probably should not have tried. Uh, so I think that in this game, uh, it was just you want to see him go out there and dominate a team of backups that he should have been able to dominate, but there were just a lot of puzzling mistakes in this game. So the, this two-game finish for him is really, uh, you know, hopefully we can just, you know, write it off because of uh, the supporting cast and everything like that. But I think there were a lot of mistakes over these last two weeks that had nothing to do with the players around him. So I think really these last two games are as worrying as anything we've seen from Darnold in his career, just because of um, there aren't really a whole lot of excuses you can make for him because yes, the supporting cast was not good against the Steelers, even against the bills. It wasn't that good against that backup defense, but just mistakes he's making in situations where he shouldn't be making them just simple decisions uh, that don't have a ton to do with the pressure. So um, these last two games, definitely not a great way for him to finish the season. As you said, Michael, box score ugly for Sam Darnold here. 23 of 36, 199 yards, 5.5 yards per attempt, a touchdown, an interception, 45 QBR, and a 76 quarterback rating. Le'Veon Bell, another poor game for him, 16 carries, 41 yards, 2.6 yards per carry. And the only player who actually had a decent box score here was Jamison Crowder, eight catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown. Robbie Anderson, a non-factor, three catches, 18 yards. Not the way you want to head into free agency, although I suspect that he's going to get paid anyway. You would have liked to have seen a nice performance here from Sam Darnold heading into the 2020 season, but unfortunately, that's not how it played out. Then again, even though I thought he played fairly well against the Patriots in the finale in 2018, it's not like the Jets played well in that game. They ended up getting smoked by the Patriots. So I guess it really doesn't make that much of a difference one way or another. There's no year-to-year momentum. You just have to hope that Darnold continues to build on the good and starts to eliminate the bad which you would hope would happen in part because Joe Douglas is able to add upgrades in the draft and free agency. So we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. Michael, before we wrap up this series, how did PFF grade this performance from Sam Darnold and the one the week before against the Steelers, and how did it compare to what you gave him? Yeah, so Pittsburgh, they're actually pretty close to me. They gave him a 44.7, which is uh, comfortably his second worst of the season. So agreeing with me there and then Buffalo uh, 58.4. So not quite as bad as me, but still his fifth worst of the season. And to go off of what you just said, and uh, it's not really about year to year momentum because that's not even a real thing. The Jets roster is going to be a lot different uh, by the time they take the field in September and nine months are going to pass before he even plays another regular season game. So it's not about momentum. It's just that, Uh, In the NFL, you don't get to see these guys play a lot. There's only 16 games a season. And for a young quarterback, especially one who's actually missed, you know, three games in both of his first two seasons, it's just every game is another opportunity to see him play, see what he's able to put out there, more plays on tape, more plays on the stat sheet. Uh, It's just another opportunity for him to show you what he has because you can hypothesize and go off of, uh, you know, what he does, what he did in college and what his over, what he did as rookie, everything. But, Every single game he plays, regardless of who the opponent is, how much it matters, is just another opportunity to see him play. So you would like to see him play well and just finish the season strong and string together good games and just 
kind of take his overall body of work and just slowly but surely work it up closer to average and then hopefully above that at some point. So even though it doesn't matter in terms of momentum, what he does against, uh, you know, a team playing its backups in week 17, it's just uh, there's a level of expectation regardless of who you're playing and when or where uh, that you want every single player to hit. And against this team in that situation, you just would have liked to see him play pretty well against that Bills team. And he wasn't able to do that. So even though it doesn't, necessarily matter that much it it was a meaningless game and you know he could throw it away at the end of the season he's still going out there and you know you know playing football in the NFL against uh, a team that's also you know even though this team isn't trying to win all those guys out there are still trying uh, you know to play for their job so there is a level of expectations no matter uh, what the situation is and he came up short in those last two games so uh, hopefully we can throw it away and just you know look back and just laugh at how bad the Jets offensive line was over those two games uh, and just build him a good offensive line and not have to even worry about these games ever again, just because the situations were so bad, but there were some negative things on display uh, from Darnold in those two games that uh, are good examples of what he needs to clean up, regardless of how good the supporting cast is uh, things that he has to clean up. If he's going to be able uh, to fulfill his potential. And that is the story of Sam Darnold through two seasons in the NFL. Michael, you did a fantastic job reviewing all 26 games. I know it took you a long time, and you really put your heart and soul into this one. You did a terrific job breaking down every single play, the charts, the game scores, the explanations, the clear criteria. Dare I say that PFF pales in comparison to Michael Nanny's grading system. I think it's fairly obvious that that's the case. But here's the deal. If you like this series, and if you're a football fan, and especially a Jets fan, I can't imagine that you didn't, there's more where this came from because, Michael, you've got a new venture. It's going to have a lot of this type of stuff available for people. Uh, Yeah, definitely. If you like the Darnold grades, I have full breakdowns coming out of every single game, all the specific numbers behind them all, the grades, ranking all the grades and video clips of his best and worst plays in each game. So uh, once that is ready and where it is ready, I will uh, have that out there on Twitter, but it's going to be really great. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. And now to close out the show, tomorrow and Sunday we are going to have the final pre-free agency mailbags dropping before the legal tampering period starts. And then on Monday there'll be one last free agency preview with myself, Michael Nania, and the very big deal Chris Nimbley who's going to join me in a second to answer some questions. We're going to break down all the latest news that Chris has heard heading into the legal tampering period. And then Michael is going to dissect some of the guys that are on the Jets wish list, talk about what he thinks they may get per year, their production, 
how valuable they would be and whether or not he thinks it's a good idea for the Jets to go out and grab those guys. It's going to be a jam-packed show on Monday, and we're going to have jam-packed mailbags coming up tomorrow and Sunday. But we had so many questions that I wanted to end the show here today with a couple of them, and then we'll do full mailbags coming up tomorrow and Sunday. So for that, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's jump right into the questions, and we'll start with Joe Rowe. He says, haven't seen a whole lot of conversation around it, but are the Jets showing interest in Glasgow as a guard or a center? He played center in college and came into the league as a center, but he's been a guard the last couple of years. So I think if the Jets sign Glasgow, and I think there's a decent chance that they will, they're going to essentially assign him center or guard depending on what they do in the rest of free agency and the draft. Ideally, you'd prefer at guard because it seems like he's a better player at guard, but the versatility gives you a lot of different possibilities. You could theoretically sign him and slide him in at center if you don't find anybody that you like at center in the draft or if you can't get somebody like, say, Connor McGovern in free agency. Or you could do the reverse. You could slide him over to guard if you do draft the center or you do sign Connor McGovern. So I think the fact that he can play both positions gives you a little something extra in terms of leverage in the market and leverage in the draft because now you don't go into it thinking, I have to get a center or I have to get a guard. You could get one or the other and know that you have a competent player at the other position. Yeah, I when I started thinking about him, I, you know, I had the same thought process in my head. What would they be doing to have him center guard? And then I was just like, you know what? I'm not even going to bother asking about this um, until, you know, if they sign him, then we, we can ask the question at that point. Uh, but the reason why is what you said, but also Jonathan Harrison can play center or guard as well. So they could put sign him or Glasgow, have him at center, and then they could uh, move Harrison to guard, or they could stick with Harrison at center, especially because they do like um, the rapport that him and Sam have. Uh, they obviously would love to upgrade the position, no doubt, but maybe Harrison has a little bit of a leg up because of that. Um, but then it's also going to f- come into play and factor what else they do at the position in free agency and in the draft. Um, let's just say they signed Thune and, and Glasgow. Then one of the guard spots is locked up with Thune. Um, and then maybe they draft another interior guy. So a lot of the moves that we're going to be talking about, I know there's other questions. Um, they can be a placeholder plus possible depth. If they, depending on who they end up, uh, drafting if they draft somebody there's a lot of different ways this can go and I think that's a big part of the reason why they like Glasgow though uh, actually I know that's a big part of the reason why they like them is because the position flexibility so it, they would probably not have like sign him with something specific in mind like he's only going to play center or he's only going to play guard they'd probably take some time in training camp to work that out and see what they felt more comfortable with but again it's gonna a large part is going to depend just on who else they're able to sign who else they're able to draft um but either way uh you know somebody like him whether he's an upgrade at center or he's an upgrade at guard he having him on the team would uh benefit this offensive line um, so we'll have to wait to see exactly what the position would be if he, if he does indeed sign here. But 
I, I, the flexibility is a huge part of the reason why they want him. Next question comes in from Joe Jet Five, one of our writers over at TurnOnTheJets.com. He says, "How many free agent offensive linemen do you think the Jets should acquire before the draft?" The easy answer here is as many as they can. I think realistically, you want to get at least one tackle and either a guard or a center. So at least two. But if you can get more, get more. Yeah, I'm with you. I, all of them works, also. But um, yeah, you got to get you got to get. Um, at least two of them, probably three. Probably, I'd probably get three uh, with two of them expecting to definitely start and one of them maybe being like a depth option, potential starter there. Um, you know, I, it's easier said than done uh, how I'm, I'm doing this math in my head because, you know, I haven't looked at everything else and the numbers. I don't know exactly what, but you have to get two. I'd probably look for a third that has some uh, potential starter flexibility at least, or but be looking at him more as a depth option. That's going to wrap up this episode of Play Like a Jet. Hope you enjoyed the final part of Michael Nania's eight-part series breaking down Sam Darnold play-by-play, game-by-game with grades for everything. And like Michael said, you can go and check out everything that he put together, including his color-coded charts right now. The Jet X Factor is what they're calling it. So if you want to go to Michael's Twitter, at Michael underscore Nania, you can get all the information on how to subscribe there. The Very Big Deal Chris Nimbley will be back tomorrow to answer more questions as we get ready for the legal tampering period on Monday. So we'll have mailbag questions tomorrow and Sunday. And then Monday, a final preview with myself, the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, and Michael Nania, all three of us together. It is going to be a lot of fun and very informative. So looking forward to doing that show as well. If you haven't had an opportunity to leave us a five-star review on iTunes, if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be very grateful to you. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money. But it's an easy way to help out the show. So if you like what we're doing, if you go ahead and do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. And if you haven't subscribed yet to Badlands, the great podcast series that Joe Caparoso and Connor Rogers did together, you should go ahead and do that as well. Fantastic series with a great guest list going through the 10-year period that the Jets have been in the wilderness outside of the playoffs. They diagnose what went wrong, what the Jets can do to turn things around and the best way to keep themselves from repeating this dark period in team history. Alex Jimo, former team employee, joined the show. Manish, Connor Hughes, Matt Miller, Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap, Mike Tanier from Bleacher Report. So many great guests, a star-studded lineup. So if you haven't had a chance to subscribe yet, go ahead over to Podbean, or you can go to at Jay Caparoso or at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter and get all the information there. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with part one of the mailbag tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget to visit the place where you can find the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, and you know where that is. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.